Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, the home of cycling in association with Zwift, where fun is fast. I'm Graham Wilgos. Brad, it's good to see you. Yeah, we're back. We're back. We're back. Socially distanced. We are. There's a screen in between us. Can't see you. And we're, yeah, we barely see each other, but we can hear each other, and that's the most important thing. Yeah. And we'll also be able to hear our guest this week. It is Laura Winter. Thank you for joining us again. Thank you very much for having me. Very happy to be here. Presenter, broadcaster, and podcaster to give you a, a title of sorts. Is that fair enough, Laura? I think that's fair. I think that says it all. Brad, what's, what's been going on then? How have you kept yourself busy over the yeah, winter? Not much. I mean... Um, in lockdown, yeah, I just since Christmas, I just tried to do a bit more training and stuff. Really get a bit fitter. Um, try not to drink as much. I was getting into a bit of a rut last year working with you. <laughs> you know, people say that. Yeah, yeah. It's, the, it's what they turn no, to. We did. We spent a lot of time in Bath, didn't we? Not in the Bath, but in Bath. <laughs> and uh, important distinction. You know, yeah. it's um, it's just easy to sort of have a drink after work and stuff, isn't it? So just yeah. my my goal this year is to get a bit fitter and kind of yeah, hope, maybe even start riding the bike. Who knows? Admirable. Um, Laura, what about you? you? You like a bit of Zwift, actually, don't you? I do, yeah. I've spent a lot of time on Zwift over the last two months. Uh, probably more time than I'd have liked, but we we're in lockdown and it was a grim winter. So, yeah, a lot of time on the bike. But it's been good. It's been all right. As lockdowns go, it's not been too, not been too bad. New season ahead then, um, mm. or new season that's, that's already off and running, fully off and running uh, with Strada Bianchi today. So I should say we're recording on Saturday. We'll come to the races uh, first, I just want to cover a few bits and pieces that have happened, Brad, while we've been away, starting with, with someone who won't, um, we think, play a part in any of this season, Tom Dumoulin. Yeah. Yumbo Visma. So he said, seemingly very suddenly, having played his part in pre-season training camp, he came out and said, look, I, I need some time off the bike. I need some time away to sort of figure out what I'm doing with my life. He got quite deep. Um, and, and just to, to quote one of the, the many things he said about it, he said, I'm going to look for what I want with the bike. What do I want as a human being with my life? Mm. Um, and that sort of made me think of you, you know, and looking back on your career and whether there was a point where if you could have done, you would have taken a break. Mm. Well, it's probably many times, but um, the easiest one for me to say would be 2013, but um, post-tour, mm. post, um, you know, being the poster boy, in the era when Lance Armstrong came clean in the whole Oprah thing, being the, t the tour champion. But then that's kind of a little bit, there's a lot of context to it because of obviously the fame side of things in this country and I didn't necessarily handle it the right way either. Um, so it's, it could be a bit of a cop-out in some ways, but at the end of the day, you end up where you end up mentally and I definitely needed some sort of a break from life at that point. And um, I think, you know, it's, it's, it seems a lot easier now for riders to be able to do that. The danger is people just jump on the bandwagon of saying, well, I want a bit of time out and that. And it is a very fine line between, you know, kind of, I'd say the serious ones and the ones who are really bad because, you, you know, how bad can it get? Um, but it's not a competition with mental health and it's um, definitely something that needs, um, I always, always sort of need some sort of intervention from a third party mm. sort of that's, that has the interests of the health of the riders and the well-being of the riders first and foremost. 
aside from the team. We always had Steve Peters at Team Sky, who I always thought was um, probably supposed to have your back. But I mean, I think, you know, him being on senior management, head of the medical team there, you know, his interest was to Team Sky at that time, really. And it was about getting the assets back riding and strong enough to, to perform. And I don't, when I look back now, I don't think he was there for the health and well-being of the riders as an individual where he could stand up to Team Sky and say, look, this guy needs six weeks away. But the team seemed a lot more agreeable now, really. We've sought it with um, Pete Kenner a couple of years ago, didn't we? Um, and Marcel, Marcel Kittle. Kittle. Well. But yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely a lot more acceptable now that it's taken a lot more seriously when someone puts their hands up. And it doesn't happen that, happen that often. And I suppose it's still at the risk of the rider themselves, you know, because they have to think, well, is my place going to be at stake? Am I going to be able to come into the sport? But I think it's a, it's a very good thing. Laura, were you surprised at just how willingly Jumbo Visma seemed to accept Tom Dumoulin's need to step away? No, I think society um, has become a lot more sensitive to mental health, hasn't it, in kind of recent years, certainly more so than you were saying, Brad, in 2013. And sport is a microcosm of society and therefore sport has to react as well. And you'd argue that actually mental health within sport is kind of that top 1% of elite. So it's, it's going to be those tiny fine margins between winning and losing and you're kind of teetering on the edge of mental health in that sense anyway. So I no, I wasn't too surprised. I think it, I think it was brilliant to see actually. It was quite, it's refreshing to see as well that a sports team said, you're one of our strongest riders and we've signed you for this season. And, you know, he, all he did in 2020 as well with the, the success of Jumbo Visma, for them to say he needs time out, give it to him. I think it was great to see. Mm. From one man who, who won't play his part this season to two men who hopefully well, Fabio Jakobsen and Remco Evenepoel. Uh, to Koenig Quickstep, both of them have, have said on social media uh, in the past week uh, that they're, they're making their way back. So Remco says... Uh, nothing is holding me back anymore to start the preparation for my season. Whereas Jakobsen, who, who as, as we all remember all too well, had that horror crash at the Tour of Poland, has said almost time to restart again. Healing process seems to be going well. Uh, the last three weeks have been painful and I struggled with eating and drinking. Uh, but implants slash screws are in and scar tissue removal reconstruction is completed. Um, so he says another four or five months to let everything heal. Hopefully, Brad, will see him come the end of this season. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, um, it's looking positive, isn't it? I mean, I've um, been following um, Remco's progress actually through the winter and he looks, I mean, he looks a better version of himself than he did pretty pre-crash. He's been so, so motivated and on the ball and I think we're going to see big things from him this season. It seems, again, that's another thing. These riders, you know, Chris Froome, you know, he's come back as well, hasn't he? Obviously from his crash two years ago, but... Yeah, Jakobsen, I mean, it'll be a great day when we see him back in the peloton. Um, yeah, one to celebrate. Yeah. For sure. And Laura, the Tour of Poland downhill finish where uh, Jakobsen crashed won't be used again. That's very welcome news, isn't it? But I did see at the sort of Polish Sports Award that that won Sports Event of the Year. And I just find that extraordinary that they can say where a rider almost lost their life. Well, well done. What a great event that was. We did that really well. It's just... Mind-blowing to me, yeah. crazy thing to gloss over. Yes. <laughs> on on uh, other things that the UCI have not got right, um, okay. arguably, well, for this occasion, they've banned hugging in order to send, they say, the right coronavirus message to fans, um, which <laughs> in the in the growing context of things and, and with teams being in race bubbles where, where risks are so very low, um, that, that seems a, an odd place to focus yeah. your attention. Yeah. So what are you going to do if you hug someone? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's already, we'll find out because it's already out the window after the, the finish for the women's race at Strada Bianchi today. Right. Uh, that's just where, another, yeah. It's all rightly treated with contempt. Mm. Um, we saw it at the finish there. Right. Uh, Anna van der Breggen 
um, embracing a teammate. Yeah, straight away, straight in to give um, Chantal Vanderbroek Black a hug, as you rightly would. And I think it's very difficult to deny that sort of very human reaction to a win and to happiness and to joy. It does remind me of rugby, where they have said they can't high five or hug when they score tries, but you can pack down in a scrum. Yes. Go ahead, boys, but don't high five in the celebration. It just sort of very much defeats the object. But I, I do understand the optics argument. But it, 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 it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it, for fans to sort of think, oh, that, that won't really wash. Another curiosity we saw in, in both the men's and the women's race was the hazmat-suited bounce. Well, I'm going to call them bouncers because that's effectively what they were. But uh, again, a very odd thing to see. I know. Not necessarily an effective one. I'm not sure they were hazmat. They were sort of white, horrible white tracksuits. I'm not really sure what they were or what sort of purpose they were serving. But um, yeah, it was an interesting finish, wasn't it? There was, but there was just a lot of joy from the SD Works women, which you can expect. And I think it, it was lovely to see. I didn't once think while I was watching it, God, they shouldn't be hugging. I thought they've, they've been tested and tested and tested and they're in the race. And they've just won the race with superb, stunning teamwork. So crack on. Yeah, I mean, it, it came down to a shootout between Chantel Vandenbroek Black uh, and Elisa Longo Borghini at Trek Segafredo um, in their, their two-up breakaway uh, in the closing kilometers. Um, I think after Longo Borghini did all the work, it, it was always going to be an open door for Vandenbroek Black to, to sort of push on in the end. Um, so she came in seven seconds ahead. Uh, with Van der Breggen, uh, her SD Works teammate, coming in nine seconds behind the winner. Annemiek van Vluten in fourth, uh, which was possibly the biggest surprise today that she didn't podium, um, knowing how strong she is, particularly in a race like this. And sort of memories of, of the same race last year and how strong she was. Yeah, absolutely. She beat Mavi Garcia last year to the line. And I think she's had um, a much more, a much quieter start to the season than we certainly saw last year. Um, she said she was out of position at Omloop, um, had noise blood last weekend and then didn't feature in that final either. So there's kind of unknowns there regarding her form. But I mean, hats off to SD Works. It takes nothing away from the fact that they were the best riders on the day, best teamwork on the day. And it was somewhat of a surprise to see um, Vanderbrook Black as the winner today, I think she went up the road as a sort of foil for Van der Breggen. Van der Breggen yeah. Absolutely. And then they just never caught her. And she had Elisa Longo Borghini with her as well. And she obviously, with Van der Breggen behind, wasn't going to get on the front and do any of the work. Sat on Longo Borghini's wheel and then outsmarted her and out outmaneuvered her on the final climb up to the finish. Van der Breggen's final season. I mean, she's already started it with a, a win at Omloop. She'll become a, a DS with SD Works, so her pathway is already clear for next season uh, when she retires at the end of this year. Only 30 as well. Young, how old is she? I thought you, yeah. Young, young to retire, Brad. Yeah, yeah. But um, I don't know, she's, she's achieved so much, hasn't she, really, in the time she has been here. But um, I actually thought she was older because it seems like she's been around forever. Mm. Yeah. It's hard to imagine, actually, a Peloton without... Anna van der Breggen and without that constant threat of when she'll attack and when she'll ride away from the bunch and, and how will the bunch catch her. Um, it is young, I suppose, for her to retire when we know that certainly endurance as a sport kind of has a longer shelf life. But like you say, Brad, she's achieved so much and she's won yeah. so much. Where does that motivation continue to come from? Yeah, and it's one of the big riders as well, isn't it? The one, one of the talking points, you know, it's just to think this time next year, we're not going to be, she's not going to be present. And, you know, then... At the same time, that's where a whole new sort of list of names come through, really. It's, just, it's almost changing the guard and the generation, really. No Lizzie Dugman today. No. She was out with Again, a cold. Yeah. And she's another one. You know, you, sort of, when you notice when she's not there. Mm. And when she's present and she's not even in the, in the reckoning, 
just her name in the race and her presence is enough really to have a talking point. But it's just going to be the same next year when Van der Breggen's not there, you know? I mentioned Van der Breggen winning Omloop um, and, and the relative prize pot between what was on offer for the women at Omloop compared to what was on offer for the men at Omloop uh, has, has rightly been um, the sort of main topic of conversation around the men's and the women's world tours this week. Um, I mean, as, as, I, as I've already said, we're recording on Saturday after the, the racing at Strada Bianchi has finished. Um, but with it being International Women's Day on, on Monday, there's possibly no better time to have a conversation on the subject of equality. So, Laura, we were talking about this at, at length earlier. The, the, the crowdfunding that um, Strada Bianchi had to rely on in the end today meant that the cash for the, the, the prize pot for the women's race actually exceeded the prize pot for the men's. So I know you've been keeping a close eye on this in terms of the numbers, um, but thanks to the public, not the race organisers, we must stress, there was a pot of more than €25,000 for the women's peloton, um, which, which exceeded the men's. Yeah, so that was then added to the €6,298 that the race had initially put up. So that equaled over 31800 at the time we're recording now, where the men for the top five riders were only receiving €31,600. So ironically, the women's prize pot is now bigger and growing than the men's. And Chantal van der Broek Black is looking to get over €10,000 for her win today as well. On the prize money debate, I think it's been raging on Twitter all week. And I think you can't really do a subject like that just a nuanced debate like that justice in 280 characters and I know there's lots of different opinions flying around and whatever else for me I think with prize money the rich get richer and often if you've got SD Works winning week in week out which it seems is looking the way at the moment that's not necessarily going to benefit the whole of women's cycling it isn't this golden ticket that will fix women's cycling it's but only, it's, it's only going to benefit the top riders the, the exactly yeah it's but it's one piece of a big puzzle uh, I think TV TV coverage and the narrative is is more important. But what it does scream out to me, the shocking disparity says we value women less. That's what it says quite clearly. And when you look at the sort of pie chart that the internationals released, it says it so blatantly. And that's that's appalling as optics for current sponsors, for would-be sponsors looking to come into the sport. It doesn't say you're particularly valued, though, as an athlete with the public having to raise money for the prize fund that you're competing for, though, Brad? Yeah, I've, I never understood prize money, really. I mean, it's... Um, <laughs> I just well, you had enough of it. Well, no, I didn't, because I won everything, so it goes to the other people, you know? it's um, The people who work for you, you mean? No, the riders, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just in, in the race. The tax yeah. bill. Yeah, um, no, I'm not, I'm not talking about your butler. <laughs> no, I mean, it, you know, it, I just... I just Prize money is sort of at the end of the season, you know, it gets split between the riders, and it's not something that's on your mind when you're racing. You know, you talk, don't think, oh, I'll get third or fourth because... You know, there'd be a lot more money. It's just for me anyway, it just never came into it. Um, and I've, I almost forget it's there sometimes and it's kind of a nicety at the end of the season. But for races to be under that much pressure to raise prize money, I mean, it, for me, racing should always be the, how prestigious it is to win a certain race and not what comes with it. Um, you know, and the jersey and the materialistic items like a medal or a trophy become, you know, at the end of Paris Bay, you get a cobble. I couldn't even tell you how much it is to win Paris Bay prize money wise. And that tells you everything really. And it's, it's, you know, I think we need the races more than riders need the prize money. You know, riders get paid enough money in this day and age, and rightly so. And I think, you know, for, for races to be at jeopardy because they can't raise prize money to pay the riders on top, I think we should just be be grateful that we've got racing on at the moment. And, and you know, the, the strain a lot of organisers are under in order to put these races on, I think it's an added pressure. Um, the women's side is a bit different anyway because they're, they're underfunded in many ways and, and it's not equal. But um, certainly for the men's side of things, in, in this day and age, the men should almost have a... 
be willing to give up a side of the sport in terms of you know to to, to improve. It's where we everyone needs to help each other really. Um, well, the, the, races, the races would say that they, they can't decrease the men's prize pot because of the UCI rules. UCI rules say well, you've, got, you've got to have a certain... Well, UCI, UCI rules say you can't have socks at a certain length and the UCI yeah. rules say you can't hug each other. So, I mean, you know, that's what happens. You know, we've got Mickey Mouse and his mates running the organisation. It's just, just the UCI. I mean, um, you know, let's not get... That's a whole other episode. Well, that's, that's the thing. I think everyone was sort of screaming at the race organisers and Flanders Classics and saying, you know, this is awful, this is disgraceful. And I understand that. But actually, I think there is a wider subject, as you say, Brad, yeah. that this is ultimately the UCI who, who have power over their sport and, and need to police that and, you know, have the authority to say prize money must be equal or, you know, whatever they want to say. But they, they kind of need to step in and take responsibility as well. There's a nice line from Lizzie Banks on, on this where she says there's no magic answer, uh, but it's all part of creating an environment where women feel valued. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, but like you say, Laura, it's, it's about putting all the pieces of the puzzle together to, yeah. crea to create that proper environment. And, it and was a constant story, isn't it? Every year we, kept, we still have the same conversation. Yes. Nothing ever really seems to get done, does it? This is what Eleanor Barker said, because she's guest edited Cycling Weekly, um, coming out this week, obviously in line with International Women's Day as well. And she basically says that she wishes that we could be talking about the brilliant racing and not sitting here moaning and moaning about no TV coverage and no prize money. And I feel like I've been talking about this since about 2014, 15, yeah. and it never seems to, to go away. And what's being lost is how bloody brilliant women's racing actually is and i hate the fact i've even just said women's racing because it's just racing it's just bike racing and cycling and it doesn't matter what's between your legs on the bike it's just good sport and to to paraphrase eleanor barker um she she said that the best thing i can do as an athlete is to put on a show and the best thing you can do as a reporter uh or a journalist is to report on all the drama and the intrigue and, and the value that we add in the best way that you possibly can um, and, I, and again, I think, I think that's, that's about right. Absolutely, yeah. I think it was a brilliantly worded letter and she put it all very succinctly as well. I think almost we add to the contribution, we contribute to the lack of coverage by sitting here talking about prize money when we could be talking about, well, let's talk about that brilliant teamwork from SD Works today. Let's talk about Ashley. Let's talk about Anna van der Breggen. But we're sitting here talking about prize money. We never see David Le Partien, do we either? Always very quiet. Yeah, mm. and we haven't seen him since the Tour de France last year. Until the said, tour comes around, yeah. He said, within two years, we should, we're, we're hopeful to have a women's Tour de France, but we don't know what it's going to be called yet. Um, now we're getting into the sort of March already, the Tour de France a couple of months away, so it'll be one year. Um, you know, can I kind of preempt this now, getting pushed aside and going, okay, we're still not in a position to have a women's Tour de France next year, which is all it is now. And it's just, it seems a constant theme, constant story. You know, it's like the women just a side piece seem, seem to be in you know, um, a secondary story. And, and you never, you know, we keep saying the UCI, actually it's, it's the leader of the UCI. We need some leadership from David Le Partion. And I don't think we get that enough, really. Um, for once of July, he comes out and says a few things and disappears again. Can you see them leaning on COVID as an excuse on the pandemic? They, they'll lean on anything they have it. to, but I mean, who knows? Well, look, on women doing just as good a job, um, and Laura, I can see your quote getting some attention. Um, <laughs> Which one, God? <laughs> no, ma on. no matter what's between your legs. Um, on, on women doing just as good a job as the men and being rewarded for it. I caught up with Sherry Pridham, um, the first woman to take on a DS role in the men's world tour uh, with Israel Startup Nation, of course, earlier in the week on Zoom. 
Sherry Pridham, Sports Director at Israel Startup Nation. Thank you for taking the time to join us on the Bradley Wiggins Show. Uh, you became the first woman to take up a Sports Director role at a Men's World Tour team when you joined ISN uh, in December last year. And you've probably been the most popular person uh, in the World Tour ever since. Um, even the New York Times reported on your appointment. Uh, tell us to start with, how have you found all the attention since taking up the role? I never in my wildest dreams ever envisaged so much interest, I guess. And it has taken me by surprise. I mean, obviously now, what are we now? We're first week of March and we're still doing interviews. Um, and I have to say it, it has been relentless. But nonetheless, you know, I'm, I'm super, super proud to, I, I guess, to hold that role. And I guess I have a responsibility now, you know, to um, show every woman, young girl that anything is, uh, anything is possible. On on that note, actually, I understand that you've you, I mean you've obviously had messages from people all over the world, but I I, I wonder if if any really stand out for you. Uh, absolutely, um, I've had that many, but the one that always uh, sticks in my mind is a young girl called Marta. Um, messaged me on Instagram and said that uh, she was absolutely delighted and thrilled that this was possible. And that her biggest dream would be uh, to be a sports director at the Movistar men's team. And she's 14. And I, I just, it was just, it's a chord, you know, just an emotional chord. Yeah, that's well, the lovely. What, what did you say to her? Did you respond? Um, or was oh, it yeah. a case of you're still sort of getting through the, the mailbag, as it were? No, I've tried to answer as many messages as, as I, you know, physically could. Uh, but that definitely warranted a message. And, and even her response when I took the time to, to message her was almost overwhelming for her, you know. So uh, I think she's a little fan. We will keep in touch. Yeah, and keep an eye at a DS of the future, perhaps. Does that sort of thing really show that you've got a real role to play in in leading the way for women in in men's cycling? I never really thought of it that way, to be honest with you. Um, But I I realise the importance of the position and the opportunity that I've been given. So, yeah, now it's starting to sort of sink in that I have a, a responsibility. Um, and to show that, like I said, you know, that it is possible. I mean, you're, you're a former pro rider yourself and you've, you've gone from being a pro into 11 years, as I understand it, of running a men's team at continental level, most recently the, the, the Vitus Pro Cycling Squad. Um, mm. And you were also owner of Vitus yes. too. So, yeah. so, I mean, it's, it's a world you've been absolutely immersed in. So presumably not an awful lot changes um, for you in your day to day. But in terms of the attention on you from the outside, an awful lot has changed. Um, again, yeah. I mean, owning a team, uh, you kind of get immersed in commercial meetings and sponsorship priorities and VIPs and s- arranging sportives and negotiating contracts. And so, you know, even car wraps and signing off on kit designs and everything you can possibly think of. So I've had a fair run at that now. I've been I've been a team owner since uh, 2013 and uh, you know I've I've seen it I've seen the teams evolve and some obviously fall in away. So I'm I'm pretty proud of the fact that I, you know we've hung on for so long but also you know the fact that I've been around the domestic scene for what what feels like a lifetime. Do I understand it right that you you were faced with a difficult decision of of winding up beat us at the end of last year yeah yeah um and, and presumably the pandemic had a an awfully large bearing on that decision um and and your capacity to be able to continue in that role yeah and and then as, as sort of as one door closed um almost immediately another door opened with uh with ISN 
Yeah. Um, if you rewind a little bit, so obviously the pandemic hits us and everybody else uh, in the cycling world and obviously um, worldwide for, for normal people, I guess. And, uh, you know, we sort of thought, well, we can get through this. We might be racing in April. We might be racing in May. So the motivation was always there. And I think when we got the news that the Tour of Britain was going to be cancelled, uh, that was our sort of last grasp at motivating the riders, you know, to get through the 2020 season. But all of this, while this was in the background, you know, we were we were working on uh, potential partnerships for 2021 through to 2024 almost. Uh, and things were looking fairly positive, I have to say. Uh, we were quite close to a three-year deal. Um, and then obviously as things uh, progressed, we were getting to July and, and I just received uh, some bad news to say that, you know, the focus was going to be on online. Uh, marketing and that they were not going to be supporting the team for those for those three years so I says you know okay you know thanks very much and as you do and I can still fight this you know I, I genuinely believe that I could run the team on a very very much reduced budget and and then we got the news that we lost another smaller sponsor and and that's how it sort of kept rolling and that was August time and and I still believed I could take the team through but pull the team back to um, elite level, sit out of all the UCI bureaucracy with paperwork and, and finances and, and that sort of thing. And then it started dwelling on me that, hey, if I don't find a job, then I'm not going to be able to so support myself. And then all the doubts started, you know, sneaking in. And I was I was thinking, what can I do? Applied for jobs. Uh, and then it was just one day. Uh, so I think it was August. I thought, why not? Why can't I? email reach out to world tour teams and there was a handful of teams that i actually wanted to be involved with I, I, you know I, I could see myself fitting in and obviously there's there's certain teams where tradition and uh, i guess uh, historic teams like well, i can't really can't really say but so, you know certain belgium teams or or french teams for instance wouldn't look at me to give those kind of opportunities but I was looking for a team that I would be accepted and, and, and be able to bring something to. And actually, ISN were the first team to respond to my email. And within a week or so, I'd ha already had my first conversation with the general manager, Chell Colstrom, and it just went from there. When you say that there are certain teams that, that wouldn't look at you, um, am, am I right in um, interpreting that as they wouldn't look at you because you're a woman? Yeah, I mean, you know, you've got you've got to look at the the real life. Uh, you know, we 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 always come up against, I guess, females, women. We we come up against uh, tradition, don't we? And uh, you've got to remember, I'm sitting very much in a man's world, and you have to you have to be accepted. You have to earn your respect, and um, with that comes a lot of responsibility. And you've almost got to re almost prove yourself again so you I mean for me I'm I'm starting right on at the bottom you know but um I've got my feet under the table now and I'm I'm determined to you know to make things work in your career mm. have you often or with any sort of regularity come across sort of bullying or abuse because you're a woman in the men's peloton no I wouldn't say uh, you know that I wouldn't say bullying or or anything like that not at all you do get you know the odd the odd person that uh, will sort of say well what what do you think you're doing here or you know but that's every day you know not just so much uh, I think I've experienced it more to be honest in the commercial world than 
than I have in the cycling world. Quite frankly, if you, as I said, if you can do your job well and you drive your car, you, you, you get the respect of the other sports directors, then why shouldn't you be treated as an, as an equal? And I, I haven't really had many issues over the past 15 years where it's hit home, you know, actually, you know, you, you're, the, you're the only woman in the set. But I never thought of it that way. You know, I, I said, just crack on. Mm. I am what I am. The, the best way to think about it, just crack on. Because you're stepping up from continental level to world tour, do you feel uh, any sort of added pressure there? And the second part of that question, do you feel any sort of added pressure because in the back of your mind you think, I'm, I'm making a little piece of, just a little piece of history here? Yeah, no, outwardly, no. I mean, I, I'm, I believe I'm a, a relatively strong person. I'm, I'm strong-willed. If I want to go and get something, I, I will do everything I can. I'll swim the earth for it. And that's the way I've treated my whole cycling career from when I was younger uh, to when I came here as an 18-year-old through to, you know, racing here and, and looking for pro teams abroad when in my generation you had to do it the hard way. You were writing letters and, and having uh, printed CVs almost and handing them out, you know, so I, I've always fought for what I've wanted and, and I've always, although I don't see them as dreams, I guess they are dreams. And I've always said that I wanted to work on a men's world tour team. And that was equally so with the Conti team. You know, I wanted my own team. I also believed I was going to take my own team to world tour. But I think uh, somewhere in the early 2012s, 2013s, I, I probably realised that, you know, that wasn't going to happen. Am I right in saying that this week was your your debut in the in the team car, so to speak, at, at Le Salmon? Well, I was DS three, um, so I was I was there in support uh, for for Dirk de Mol and for Eric van der Lanker. It, it, all the same, it must have been a, a, a disappointing experience in a way, having been so close with with Sepp van Mark and uh, and Hugo Hofstetter finishing fourth and fifth, uh, be, being sort of that yeah. close to the podium. What did you take away from the race? It started well, and I think as uh, w- with all teams, you know, everybody's facing issues. We not necessarily with just with the travelling, but also with all the COVID testing and and such like. So I think the team can be super proud of uh, our start in the opening weekend and opening races, and, and even you know how Var and 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 Bessege and, and those races. I think we've been there or thereabouts. So. Well, Michael Wood's doing it for you in uh, in VAR as well. That's it, yeah. An important early win, I, I would imagine. Absolutely, yeah. And and Sepp is is flying. You know, he's 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 in super good nick and uh, he's motivated. Um, and I think you saw that in in Le Samen two days ago. You know, he was he had a couple of punctures, so he came back from that. He still had the tenacity to go out and and you know, to try and do a long breakaway and then ended up sprinting for the for the podium, I guess, for the win uh, and got fourth. And he was disappointed with that, you know, even even with all his troubles and his uh, the way he tackled the race. So we're, we're happy. We're content. We've we mentioned a couple of riders there, but you've got a squad actually full of talent and, and rider, riders capable of winning the, the biggest races in the world. I mean, Dan Martin, yeah. Andre Greipel, Alex Dowsett, Daryl Impey, and, and obviously one man that I'm sure you've been asked a lot about, Chris Froome. Um, mm. What are your expectations, given the talent at your disposal? What are your expectations for the season ahead? I think we've always looked as a sports director's group. Um, we've always kept as posit- positive and, and, and as focused so everybody's on the same page. And I think when we were looking at the, the race program and doing the race planning in, in December, 
uh, it was quite clear that any race that we went to on the program, whether it was a Grand Tour or or an early season classic or uh, a one day race, whatever, we believe that we've got riders that can compete for the podium, and I think we've proved that so far. You know, we've got we've got um, things we need to work on. You know, I know I know for a fact that at UAE our sprint train improved as as a group uh, on the road. Uh, every every sprint opportunity they got better and better at that and with that comes confidence and with confidence comes result so you, you talked about the sprint train briefly there are you happy with what you saw from from Froomey in the UAE um, so top 50 overall and and you know given the extent of the injuries that he suffered in, in his, his recce for the Dauphiné um, how's he looking is he in the sort of shape that you'd, you'd hope I think you just said, you know, the the extent of the injuries that Chris has had to deal with and the re- recuperation and rehab that he's had to go through. And we spent a lot of time as a team making sure that Chris's rehab has been where we need to be. So although he might be a little bit behind in where we need to be with Chris, every day at UAE, he, you know, he was feeling better and better. So um you know, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing Chris. Uh, I, you know, I think uh, we've, we've got to believe, haven't we, and, and give him as much support. Likewise, all the guys, you know, we've got to remember Chris is Chris Froome, but we have a, a whole team of super good riders, mm. you know, Van Mark, Daryl Impey, Dan Martin, Paddy Bevan, all those guys, you know, that, uh, that can do a good result. In a way, he's in a nice position because not as much as expected of him as it as it might have been before um so in, in a in a very real way you're you're very much the underdogs and yet he has um partly probably because he's been asked about it so much but he has hinted that he, he would like to go for a that that record fifth tour de france yeah yeah why not you know i mean it it's uh one of the i guess instrumental reasons why we've brought him on board uh you know to give that a go but you know, we're a long way out still in terms of, you know, thinking about the Tour de France, but we are building in the background. And I think from what I've seen and heard uh, from his coaches and from the performance team that, you know, he's he's on track. Mainly uh, and most importantly, that his rehab is almost 99% done. That's really good news. Have you got an idea of what his um, race programme will look like? For, um, no, I... I I don't know. Um, you know that sort of gets dealt with by uh, Rick Verbrugger, our head DS, um, and that's kind of updated uh, pretty much when we have Monday meetings, uh, DS meetings. Um, there, there might be a very obvious answer to this, um, but is there a race that you are most looking forward to playing your part in? <laughs> um, I've never, I've not given it a thought uh, as far as that, but obviously I'm going to say the Tour de France, but. You know, I'm going to have to be super, super good to, you know, to get to the Tour de France this year. I've, you know, but who knows? I'm uh, I'm next up at Terreno Adriatica, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, and then after that, uh, we we'll see. I know I'm doing the Tour of Britain uh, as head DS, so well first DS, mm-hmm. so that's something to look forward to as well. Sherry, how would you describe yourself as a as a DS? I mean, are you uh, are you animated? Are you are you sort of quite relaxed? Um, I mean, I've, I've heard, for example, that you're very much, uh, as I think a lot of DSs are, a real stickler for attention to detail. Mm, I am. I like uh, I like to have a plan, certainly a, a good strategy and a well thought out strategy, and and I like to do that when I you know when I present the the strategies and the performance plans. 
and I've always said to the riders, you know, if we if we go out with a plan and we try and we have a plan A and a plan B and, you know, who knows, as you know, things change on the road quicker sometimes than we can, you know, than we, we can deal with, um, but at least give it a go. And I think I'm calm. The way I'm talking to you now is probably the way I would be talking to my riders, confident, clear. You might want to ask me that question when I get my first podium. I don't know how I would react, but I, I would imagine knowing me, I would be a little bit emotional. Yeah, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to seeing the in-car footage that you always see of the, the, the DS <laughs> sort of high-fiving each other. Yeah. Actually, I should ask, where in the world are you talking to us from? I'm in Derby. Right. <laughs> so, are, yeah. you, are you sort of based in the UK? For this season, yeah. Right. Yeah, for this season, I will be, yeah. How do you relax away from cycling? Uh, I, I enjoy running. We've also got a, a, a good uh, DS group that uh, likes to batter each other out on the road when we when we get the opportunity to go running. So I enjoy that, and I've got four dogs to keep me uh, to keep me busy and keep them walked. So, oh, that's a full time uh, job in itself. It is, yeah, yeah. Um, finally, Sherry, is there a question that you would like to to put to Brad? When are we going to see you at the at the at the first race, Brad? Uh, come and say hello. Come and give us a bit of support, and we can uh, continue with the questions. I'm sure he'll be there like a shot. Well, look, Sherry Prillam, Sports Director at Israel Startup Nation. Good luck for the season ahead. Uh, we really wish you well and thank you for taking the time. Thank you for your support. So thanks again to Sherry Prillam for taking the time to speak to us. Uh, Brad, Laura, a, a woman as a DS at a men's world tour team. You love to see it. Yeah, I mean, it's again, it's one of those things, isn't it? We have to praise it because it's the first time at the same time, it shouldn't even be a news story in some ways. That's equality, isn't it? The fact we recognise it means there's a problem anyway. The fact we recognise it and talking about it as an issue, on the, or not an issue, as a, as a subject matter, um, means she's going to get more attention. We're drawing her attention to it. There's going to be extra pressure on her to say the right things. Um, and, and this isn't a first for her. She didn't get really much attention when she was doing it in the British scene. But now it's on the world tour. It's sort of all ramped up a little bit more. I can, I can tell you now, though... I can tell you now, there's, there's, there's a lot of misogyny and bigotry within that peloton, within the, the older DSs, if you like, the likes of certain French managers and Belgian managers. I can only imagine them no now in the race convoy when she's trying to get past or something like that. You can only imagine what's being said in the car. Um, I mean, she, she said actually that she wouldn't get a job at certain teams. She, yeah, I mean, she oh, said as much. 100%, and, yeah. And she, you know, yeah. Having applied to... Yeah. Um, so, yeah, good on Israel, start on Nation. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the first, hopefully it won't be the last, and... Um, I think she'll she'll you know supersede most of the men in them in that peloton in terms of um, in the position she's in. She's got more experience than most of us, and certainly more than me. She was around the sport longer than I am. Yeah, good luck to her. I think well, she'll do a great job. Like like we say there, she, she's run a men's team um, for eleven years, owned a men's team. Yeah, um, at, at continental level, I, this is far from being something that's new to her, Laura. I've always loved working with Sherry on the British scene. She's been brilliant. She's always great to interview. She gives you her time. She gives you a great soundbite. She knows what she's doing. And I, I, you're right, Brad. I wish it wasn't news. I wish it wasn't this this enormous sort of celebration. And I understand why it is, but I you just wish for a day where there isn't a blink of an eye when we say, oh, someone's come out as gay or there's a woman doing this. Yeah, it's just yeah. life and normal. Um, but unfortunately, we're not there yet. So we do need to keep celebrating the firsts and we do need to praise, you know, give praise where it's due. And for sure, Sherry Pridham, I think, will have a brilliant, brilliant time with Israel Startup Nation. And I wish her all the best. Um, after we finish recording, in fact, we, we spoke about um, the sort of psychological side to it too. Um, but hopefully we'll get, we'll get Sherry on the show um, in person. 
later in the season. Uh, so coming around to Sherry's question to you, when, when are we going to see you at the, um, the first race? Well, a bit of luck, Paris-Roubaix. Like, yeah, um, all being well. There is talk of having the motorbike there, um, Brad on the bike. So that'll be, uh, hopefully that doesn't get cancelled because that'll really be one to do. I think it's something we're all looking forward to. Uh, one of the highlights of, uh, of the summer, two, two summers ago. It seems a long time ago now. Welcome back to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport. Brad, Laura, let's move on to the men's race today at Strada Bianchi. Um, we were hoping for what would turn into a classic and... It's fair to say the race lived up to expectations today. The seven that got away with about 22 kilometers to go was an all-star field. And then Matthew van der Poel put the rocket boosters on with about 12 kilometers to go. Only two could stick with him. Here is how Rob Hatch called the finish for us on Eurosport. 500 meters to go. Still no winner. There he goes. now we get the move. Now we get the move. It's liftoff number two for van der Poel. And look at that difference. Look at the space open up. Bernal is out. It is van der Poel who's going away. Van der Poel's oh going to do it. Van der Poel is on fire. Mathieu van der Poel just rides them off his wheel. And Mathieu van der Poel is about to approach Piazza del Campo as the winner of Strade Bianche. He's going to be the first touch man to do it. And Alaphilippe, in the same arena where he was victorious two years ago, is going to be beaten, but beaten by an absolutely wonderful performance from an absolute machine of a bike rider. We have seen quite the race today. We have seen quite the bike racer. Mathieu van der Poel, a winner at Strade Bianche. It's heroic stuff ahead of the world champion. And Egan Bernal is also back. So Brad, Matthew van der Poel, he was pretty much the out-and-out favourite. Uh, Julian Alaphilippe couldn't stick with him there at the end. Um, Egan Bernal doing well to round out the podium. Yeah. Um, but Brad, as a show of strength on that final climb, really putting the rocket boosters on, no one could stick with him. Uh, I mean, how about that from van der Poel? Yeah, I mean, van der Poel, we say the favourite. I mean, every race he starts now, we're expecting that kind of performance from him, really. I mean, I watched the World Cyclocross Championship not too long ago, and I mean, it was... He was ridiculous, you know, dominant in there, wasn't he? Well, really? he, well he, he crashed and, and yeah. Wout van Aert went out and, 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 and stretched out ahead of him um, and had a 20-second you know, second lead. He's just, you know, I think we watched this race last year, um, which was at a later date last year, wasn't it, when uh, van Aert won. Um, and pretty much at a canter, yeah. yeah. Um, and every race in that period last year was at Lombardy and that van der Poel was kind of distanced and we, it was a surprise really, but I hope this is his season now, you know, Reef Flanders and races like that, Paris-Roubaix, I think he's, we say every race he starts now, we expect a performance like that. Uh, good for Bernal, you know, he sort of seems to be putting last year's Tour de France to, behind him now. He's doing the Giro, of course, and he, Bernal was only supposed to be there as a uh, as a sort of finding his feet in Italy and, and sort of part of his acclimatisation as a, as a long look at the Giro. Um, but Laura, that final seven in particular, um, I mean, all-star cast. Yeah, all the protagonists were out to play. It was so exciting. Before the race, I said to myself, if we've got Julian Alaphilippe, Wout van Aert and Mathieu van der Poel, the final three coming into that last kilometre, it's going to be fireworks. And OK, we had two of those, but we also had Egan Bernal. And I think it's actually brilliant to see Bernal back at the pointy end of a race 
Um, I know he came third and he was distanced 20 seconds on that last climb by Mönchengladbach. In, in, in the last kilometre. Uh, ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. But it's good to see him back, you know, where I think we are used to seeing him, where we want to see him, certainly if he's going to be a contender and match kind of Pogacar for the Grand Tours and so on. But um, I've just extraordinary stuff from Mathieu van der Poel. The explosion, the acceleration was insane. I'm not sure that we've... I mean, Twitter erupted, didn't it? I'm not sure we've sort of seen stuff like that for a long time. He was just incredible. I mean, the, the, the other four in that final seven, so Wout van Aert came fourth, Thomas Pidcock, uh, Ineos um, in fifth, a lot's been expected of Tom Pidcock, um, Michael Gurgle and, and Tadej Pogacar. Um, they came in almost a minute down. You'd think, certainly given how Van Aert, for one, performed last year, that they'd have been closer to the podium. But I, I think we saw Van Aert and Pidcock just sort of as they were distanced in, within the last 30 kilometres, they burnt a few matches to try and get back on to that front group. Um, and they just didn't have enough left. Yeah, absolutely. And also, Tom Pidcock wasn't really going to work in that chase group when you had Bernal up the fr- up the road. Um, but I think what a performance we've seen from Tom Pidcock. He was third at Omloop last week. Now he's come in and finished fifth at Strada Bianca. Like, the kid's incredible. He's only 21 years old. He is going to be an absolute sensation. He already is, really. But the future is so bright for him. Yeah. Kerner, Kerner Brussels, Kerner. It's, easy. it's the same weekend, but I think he was third at Kerner Brussels, Kerner, wasn't he? Yes. Jake Stewart was second at Omloop, the Group Armour FDG rider. Um, and he, he was fifth overall at uh, Bessege too. Brad, you know fine well what it's like to be a young rider on that team mm. in a French squad yeah. um, and, a, and a sort of proudly French squad as well. Um, mm. Give us a flavour of, of what Jake Stewart will be going through this season. Yeah, so I, I signed with him 20 years ago this year. That, that's incredible. Yeah, right. to end of 2001. Yeah. So my first season, 2002, was with FDJ. So yeah, 20 years ago. Um, and it's um, it's still the same makeup, pretty much the same group of guys. Marc Madiou, Yvonne. Um, I'm not sure if Marcel Gaillon and others are still there, but yeah, still Frank Pino's there. Same dress directors. Um and they've had, um, you know, they've had a lot of success in that 20 years. I mean, they started in 1997, so they're getting on for 25 years old now, that team. One of the longest sponsored teams. Um, so after Max Chandra and myself, he's the third, isn't he, Jake? He is indeed. Um, Which I didn't know until you told me the Graham, Graham the encyclopedia. Well, I, I've, I've got that information from elsewhere as well. So apparently Maddio said to Stuart, the last British rider I had on this team was Bradley Wiggins. Probably. So you'd, you'd better be effing good. Yep probably did who, who do you expect to to really rise to the top there can is can pigcock be the next real next oh, real superstar you're, yeah i mean he's getting on with that already isn't he yeah he's already made an impact um i think there's a lot more to come from him i think it's going to be challenging for him to think what direction to go in whether he's gonna be a gc rider you could see him certainly going away the yates in that that sort of vein you know winning races like the age bastard Liège and being up there in those but the big question is going to be whether he goes for GC, isn't it? Yeah. Something like the Tour de France. But um, I think I'd say he's got time for that. You know, so, wait a couple of years, but get get things under your belt, smaller races. I can see him doing well in um, Tour of the Basque Country, you know, Tour of Lombardy, all these races. I mean, it's it's quite difficult when you can do anything like what, like he can. He, he's a very, very similar rider to, to Matthew Van Der Poel, isn't he? Yeah, you know? in, in lots of ways. I mean, cyclocross yeah. background. Again. Of course, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but just that he's got the punchiness, you know, he's got... He's quick in a sprint. He can time trial. Um, riders like that now. You know, you got um, Julien. He can do anything. <laughs> he can do anything. Um, we were asking about Van Aert last year. Can he win a Grand Tour? That's the modern rider now. They can, they can do anything at any time of the year. 
Jake Stewart, what would your advice be to him? Not, and I'm sure you will say to me, you know, I'm in no position to give him any advice, but having sort of been there yourself, yeah. as you say, you signed 20 years ago today, and Laura will come on to the man's, the, the, the kid's age, I should say, really, um, because it, it, even saying that he was born in, in 1999. Offensive. Um, is, is, yeah. So he was crazy. crazy. He was two when I signed but, for... But what, what, would your, what would your advice be to a young Learn dialect French. French. Learn yeah. dialect French. So I learned French from the Picardy region by... I didn't speak a word of it. I didn't even get entered for French GCSE. Um, and I learned dialect French, you know, like roadman French, if you like, in London. <laughs> and uh, it makes it so much easier speaking within that team and that, you know. It's, um, he, he says his French is, is coming on. Uh, Laura, they're already making a name for themselves. How, how do you see it for Pickock and Stewart this season? What, what can you see them doing in, in terms of how high can they go? Sky's the limit, I suppose. And they've already shown themselves. The thing is, at the moment, there isn't too much pressure on them. Both results were kind of surprises to an extent. No one quite knew what certainly Pidcock's form was going to be coming into the opening weekend, having spent the winter in cyclocross. I've got to say also the nature with which Stuart finished second. If you haven't seen the sprint, he get, he finds gaps that aren't there. He squeezes between the barrier on the left-hand side. And he said... Uh, if he had been in the wheels of Ballerini, he probably would have certainly challenged him further. So I think, yeah, those, those two kids certainly show that the future's bright for British cyclists coming through, which, which is great to see as you've got people like Garrett Thomas, Chris Froome coming arguably towards the end of their careers. It's nice to see this new generation stepping up and racing in a very different way to what we certainly saw throughout the you know 2010s with Team Sky and Brad and kind of their dominance. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Froome again there, and, and obviously we've heard from, from Sherry Pridham on, on what they might expect from Froome this year. I mean, she said, why not? If he's going for a fifth Tour de France, yeah. is, he, is he capable of doing it? It's quite a nice position for, be, for him to be in, in a way, and he said as much, um, in that he's now a team that's not necessarily expected to win it. No, and I, that, think, I think that's probably what he needs at this stage of his career. Um, you know, the regain of the confidence and the, you know, his phys physical condition this year, but... Um, He's capable of a fifth, definitely. Um, I think the racing has changed so much in, just in the last two years alone, the way the races, the, the riders that are capable of doing well. Um, the Tour de France, the structure of the Tour has changed in the last two years, the, the way they race it. It's very close now to the last stages. And I think it's going to be difficult for him, but it's never easy winning the Tour de France. So um, he's going to have a job on, but um, probably going to have to see a bit more from him than we have done up to this point, you know, a bit more, you know, um, of a performance at some point, but I'm still not going to underestimate him. The minute you underestimate Chris Froome is, is the day that you um, you pay for it, really. I think he's um, he's an amazing athlete and he's got he's got certainly something left in him. Um, otherwise, he wouldn't be racing, I don't think. Um, and on the tour, looking looking away forward to the tour, but um, Teo and Thomas will be Team Sky's uh, A-team. Yeah. Um, leading, leading their squad um, over in France uh, this summer. Uh, is that the right move for Teo, Brad? So Dave Brailsford has said, um, in terms of Teo's development, the tour is is the the next best step for him, and not for him to go back and defend his his Giro mm. title. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's a funny one, that isn't it? Um, it would have been nice to see him back, wouldn't it? Defending that title. It's it's always good to it's see. Funny one, Dave. Yeah. You don't know really. You never know whether he's telling the truth or not. Um, you know, I don't know if they're basically. He's still, in Dave's mind, third in line behind Egan and G. 
and he's got to keep those people happy. He's got to feed his top athletes. And so coming out with that and saying that, gee, uh, Teo, now the next best step is for him to go to the tour, knowing that he's going to play second fiddle to G, um, because he's got to manage this, he's got to manage these players really. So keep Bernal happy by sending him to the tour because it wasn't happy, you know, it wasn't happy at the tour last year. Um, I know that the two camps weren't very happy with each other. You know, the, the sort of Bernal camp and the G camp, and that's why G ended up going to the Giro. Really, they can't really have them two on the same race. I would imagine because it doesn't. Well, whereas Teo will be happy to play second fiddle to G. So they've got the, so they've so got to split them really that way. So I think you know keeping. You know, G going for the tour and, and Egan going for the Giro. Yeah, so it, it looks like Bernal will be supported by, well, he will be leading the Giro team with Pavel Sivakov, and they'll be supported by F Filippo Ganna, um, who obviously dominated the race in terms of stage wins last year, and Bernal's fellow Colombian, um, Daniel Martinez, uh, their new signing from, from EF Education Nippo, as, as, as they'll be known this season. Um, so it's, it's Teo and Thomas for the tour with Richard Carapaz. Um, Ineos's third option, and they've got a sort of deluxe domestique in Richie Port, third on the on the podium last year, mm. um, and they'll likely be backed by Lawrence de Plus, um, um, Mikhail Kwiatkowski, um, Castro Viejo, Luke Rowe, um, and Dennis obviously was uh, almost MVP for Teo at the Giro yeah. in terms of the work he did uh, to support him. So, in in terms of of race program, it's it's Paris Nice this week for Teo. Uh, that begins tomorrow. So again, Brad, looking back to to your time going for going for the tour, Paris Nice, the first real important marker for yeah. you in the season. In yeah, it is. Yeah, it's um, it's on French soil. Um, it gives you a flavour of what you know the tour is going to be like. It's very it's raced very similar to the Tour de France. The only difference is it's very cold, and uh, you have a lot more weather conditions to contend with generally this time of year in France, particularly the rain and, and snow in some parts. Um, but I think that's, you know, we always took a French kind of t French calendar really in the run-up to the tour, aside from um, Romandy. And um, I think nothing's much has changed there, really. It's, you know, if you're racing in France and going for the Tour de France, it's good to get used to racing in France and um, the roads. And it, you can, you know, before Paris Nice in 2012, we went and looked at a few of the stages of the tour. We went and looked at the last time trial in La Chartre for the tour. So we already started the recon, you know, this far out. Um, because it was it coincided with the start of Paris Nice and the time trial wasn't far from there, so we killed two eggs, two, two birds, two and one birds, eggs. One, yeah. two, two eggs and one bird, two eggs and one stone, <laughs> two pigeons, one egg. Paris Nice will be the first time that we see the uh, the super squads, if you like, of of Jumbo Visma and Ineos showdown this season. Um, so it's where where Primoz Roglic will start his season, supported by um, Stefan Kreischwick, George Bennett. Um, Leonard Hofstetter and, and Tony Martin, whereas Ineos will have, have Teo and, and Richie Port, Ryan Dennis, are basically the, the, the bulk of what we expect to be their tour team, um, with, with Geraint Thomas the exception, um, over in Torino Adriatico, which starts in the middle of next week. Um, how do you see the, the, the showdown, if you like, between Jumbo Visma and, and Ineos? It's hard to say. We haven't really seen much of a hit out. I think UAE tour, I mean, Tyler Pogaccio won that. So kind of between Jumbo Visma and um, Ineos, we haven't seen the big trains come to the fore. We haven't seen that form. So I think for that, it's going to be incredibly exciting just to get a glimpse and a taste of what we'll be expecting in June, July. Um, I don't know. I, anything could happen, couldn't it? I think that's, that's the brilliant thing. And certainly this season just feels like, because last year was so bizarre and so unprecedented, as we keep saying, this season feels like form is a little bit unknown because the running has been different 
So I, I'm excited to see what's going to happen between between both races, Torino Adriatico and Paris Nice. Mm. Um, and presumably we'll see a lot from Sam Bennett and Pascal Ackerman in the sprints. Too. Yeah, cool. you're you're looking forward to seeing Cav back this season as well, and, and back in a team where yeah. um, he feels we, we assume a lot. He more looks happy. Yeah. He looks really happy, and um, he sounds happy. Um, hopefully, it's not his last year, but you know, we we sat didn't we at the end of last year and we watched the whole sort of tears at Gent Wevelgem and thought that that might be it and we wouldn't get this chance to see him again so you know special mention to Cav yeah and and hopefully we'll uh, we might even have him on the show at some point Ooh, over the course of the nice. season that brings us to the end of this episode of the Bradley Wiggins show by Eurosport thank you to our sponsor Zwift where fun is fast thank is. you Brad it's good to see you again yeah, after a, thank a, you. a winter's break and special thanks to our, our special guest Laura Summer Laura Winter. <laughs> Laura, quickly, before, you, before we all lose it, where, where can we find you on social media if we want to? It's at Laura C. Winter uh, on both Instagram and Twitter. On all good social channels. Brad, where can Absolutely. we find you? So we go. You can also follow Eurosport on Twitter at Eurosport underscore UK and you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Special thanks extended to our producer podcast, Pete. Pete's half hour. Pete Burton. Yes, Pete. Finally from me, Graham Wilgos, it's goodbye. If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, share your thoughts and rate us. Uh, Brad, as I said, we will be back next week for the final stage of Paris, um, and it will be stage five of Torino Adriatico. So lots to look forward to as the stage racing gets serious. Uh, Laura, thanks again. Thank uh, you for so joining much for having us. me. Superb to have you as always. Uh, Brad, last word. Goodbye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.